So as I was saying just a moment ago, this movie still terrifies me at the age of 43. Uh, makes me feel like I'm 15. I think the thing that... you got to get a hold of yourself. Yeah, no. <laughs> Thera therapy has helped a little bit. Um, I think the thing that really gets me every time is that as you watch it, you feel like this is happening. You feel like this is this is presented in a very it's the uncanny presented as a in a very realistic fashion. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are if that was what your approach was to the material. Well, first of all, it's based on an actual case yes. where um, something quite similar did happen in 1949 in Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, it was a 14-year-old boy from a Lutheran family, not Catholic, and he manifested all the symptoms that you see here and more. And they put him through all that medical science had and psychiatry, and uh, they studied his brain as well as they could in those days. And the Catholic Church, uh, finally, uh, the Lutheran, their Lutheran minister, the family's Lutheran minister, suggested they go to the Catholic Church and see if the case warranted an exorcism because the Lutherans don't have that in their ritual. Uh, the Catholic Church in the 20th century authenticated only three cases that we know in the United States as being demonic possession and requiring an exorcism. And this, the 1949 case was one of them. Now, if you uh, have uh, an iPad or a computer, you can Google that case. There's a three-page, front-page story in the Washington Post. You just have to put in something like uh, 49 exorcism case, Washington Post. And there's a very long account of what happened in a major big city newspaper. And so Bill Blatty, who wrote the novel and the screenplay, was an undergraduate at Georgetown when this happened. And it's what inspired him. Now, to take your point, I think there's several reasons why The Exorcist, after 40 years, still continues to um, upset people, or let's say uh, frighten them, or however you might call it. The first uh, reason, I think, goes back to uh, St. Augustine in his Confessions, written in the 4th century, uh, wonders why people were going to the theater in those days, in the year 359 or whatever, why people went to the theater to see actors exhibit pain and suffering. And the people who went were not satisfied unless the actors portrayed as much pain and suffering as they, the spectators, could see it. Now, why was that? In a way, it was a kind of release that pertains to the other two reasons I'm going to discuss with you. The first reason is something called expectancy. From the time The Exorcist came out, People had heard that it was a scary film. You hear something is scary, your mind is preset to uh, 
be frightened. It's like walking down a street in your own life or going somewhere where something terrible has happened. Maybe a, a bad accident or a robbery or a murder. And you go down that same street at night or by day or to that place and you'll get a, a chilly feeling. I got it yesterday when I went to visit the Texas School Book Depository. You get, for those of you, how many of you have been over there and seen that exhibit? Well, you know it's pretty chilling. A lot of you may not have been alive when that happened. Uh, I was just born. No. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you go into the School Book Depository. It's now a museum, beautifully organized and very clear and concise about all they know that happened uh, and yet you get this expectancy set this chill and when you come into a movie theater you have that but you are also in a kind of safe darkness you're sitting in a movie theater usually surrounded by other people who are going through the same experience but you know that you can get up when it's over and walk out, you know? This isn't happening to you really, Chris. It's happening... That's a relief. Okay. Well, it's happening to someone else. So what a film like this draws upon are those three factors, especially the safe darkness. I want to get some questions from other people, but first, very quickly, um, I met you once before, and you told a very... I thought it was a very funny story about the original poster design for The Exorcist. And Boy, your, I don't know that it was funny. And you were feeling, I thought it was funny. You were, you were pretty upset about it. I was wondering if you could just relay that quickly. Well, uh, when I first saw the print ad that Warner Brothers wanted to use for The Exorcist, uh, the uh, advertising department showed me it was a drawing a drawing of a little girl's hand holding a bloody crucifix. And beneath this drawing, it said, um, for God's sake, help her. And I remember throwing this piece of paper across the room. I might have eventually torn it up. And I remember saying, you, you can't do this. Number one, you cannot use God's name in an ad. You know, God's not chilling for you. So get you got to get rid of that. And you can't take the most disturbing scene in the film, or one of them, uh, and one that is certainly filled with very ugly and dark connotations, and focus on that. And they, they were alarmed, and they said, what do you want to do? And I said, let's take a still frame from the film that is iconic, that will become a metaphor for the film, a silhouette of the priest approaching the house. And that was inspired by a, a, a Magritte painting called Empire of Light. And I said, I don't want to hit people over the head with the content of this film. They'll get it soon enough. They'll hear about <laughs> it. Uh, let's underplay it, and that's what we wound up with. Now, I didn't know that was... Anyone here think that was funny? <laughs> oh, you're laughing. I guess Chris is right. Who has a question for Mr. Friedkin? Sir. Yeah, from, or, 
you have one of the rarities where you won Best Picture, or had one of the first rated R movies to be win Best Picture, then followed up by one of the first four films to be nominated for Best Picture. Can you talk about with the French Connection, some of your experiences working on that, how that transpired into The Exorcist, and your reaction when you were nominated uh, for uh, Best Picture? Oh, I wanted to kill myself when I was nominated. <laughs> what a horrible thought to get nominated for Best Picture. Now, you have the answer to that, don't you? I mean, it's a wonderful feeling. You know, it's like, hey, Mark, is that Mark? How you doing, Mark? Good to see you. Uh, you know, it's sort of like getting the Star Award here at the Dallas Film Festival. It's a very uh, thrilling and encouraging thing that happens to you. And you have to be very lucky to have something like that happen. It has nothing to do with talent or brains or even content. You know, there are many great films. Do you ever hear of Citizen Kane? Has anyone ever heard of If you haven't, just a minute. If you have not heard of Citizen Kane, get the hell out of here. Anybody in this audience that has not, I don't care if you're a film critic or if you own this theater, if you have never heard of Citizen Kane, get out immediately. <laughs> For me, it was my inspiration. How you doing tonight? It was the greatest film ever made. It made me want to become a filmmaker. It didn't win the Academy Award. You know, it won uh, an Academy Award for screenplay that Orson Welles shared with a man called Herman Mankiewicz. And I think it may have won one other, but I'm not sure. But those were R-rated pictures. The Exorcist today would be rated NC-17 triple. There aren't enough X's in the alphabet for what The Exorcist would be rated today. In those days, the ratings board was very liberal, and uh, uh, they were not out to censor films, just warn people about content so that parents could decide if they wanted their children to see them or not. And that's all the ratings board should do. But they go far beyond that today, and they censor films. Um, but uh, I think that answers your question. I made two R-rated films back to back. They were very well received, for which I'm very grateful. Uh, why it happened, I can't say. Uh, it's really by the grace of God. I'd say those are two of the great American movies. Thank you. Thank you. I owe five bucks to Sir, right up here. Yes, can you talk a little about the sound design and The Exorcist and maybe discuss uh, what were you listening to and what were your influences in coming up with the sound design? The Exorcist soundtrack is loaded, as you can tell, especially in 5.1 surround. Uh, it has a lot of stuff in it, including the sounds of a, during uh, the, the exorcism sequence. I mixed into the track uh, sections of a, of a cassette tape I was given by one of the priests who's in the film who got it from an exorcism that was done in the Vatican, in the basement of the Vatican, and recorded on um, quarter-inch uh, cassette tape. And he got me a copy of this tape, and the ungodly sounds I heard on it, I mixed into some of the demon shouts. Um, I do the soundtrack to all my films separately because 
Probably my greatest influence is probably dramatic radio of the 1940s. Do any of you ever remember dramatic radio shows? Or, you know, radio, you know, no-inch television. You, you've never heard of that. Uh, well, uh, there were programs called Inner Sanctum and I Love a Mystery and Suspense. And as a kid, you know, I grew up before television. And I used to listen to these programs, and they influenced me tremendously as a filmmaker. And uh, you're going to see Citizen Kane, aren't you? I've already seen it. <laughs> uh, and uh, they were a tremendous influence on me. And so, especially with this film, I tried to make the soundtrack stand alone. Oh, there's Big Al, right? How you doing, Big Al? Nice to see you. Friend from Chicago. Used to have a radio show there, so he remembers dramatic radio very well. Um, at the station where I work, by the way. But anyway, the Demon Voice, for example, I experimented uh, a lot. Um, I went to this guy, Ken Nordine. Do you remember him, Al? He had one of the greatest voices in radio. He did a lot of commercials. And he also created a lot of... Uh, uh, vocal effects and did recordings called Word Jazz, uh, which he had lived over jazz music. I went to Ken and said, why don't you, you know, go all out and I'll finance some experiments um, and let's see if you can do the demon voice. And he did some experiments and none of them worked for the reason that it was always a man's voice. I listened to it and he did some really far out things, but it was a man's voice. And I didn't want it to be a man's voice, no matter how gruesome. Uh, so then I started to think, well, how it can't really be a woman's voice either. Blatty writes about this horrible growling sound from the bowels of the earth, and, you know, a bunch of uh, very... Um, creative prose about what the demon voice sounded like. But I didn't want it to uh, be either, I wanted it to be something in between. And I didn't know what the hell I was talking about or thinking about. Then it, I remembered, as though like a flash, I remembered this great radio actress named Mercedes McCambridge. And she was in Giant, by the way, and she won an Academy Award for Giant. Anyone here who hasn't seen Giant? Oh, you haven't seen Giant. There he goes. There he goes. We're listening to William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist at the 2013 Dallas International Film Festival in April 2013. It's part one of two award-winning director William Friedkin answers questions from the audience following a showing of The Exorcist at the 2013 Dallas International Film Festival presented by Auto Nation, Volkswagen Dealers, recorded April 13th, 2013.
and we'll be back with the rest of it. Thank you for listening.